Hey there, welcome to the Theology Of podcast. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Riker. And we're two college students who love studying scripture and having meaningful biblical conversations. When we think about theology, most of our thoughts probably stay within the four walls of the church. But in doing so, we're really limiting our understanding of God's infinite nature. And so each episode, we'll be tackling an everyday, secular-seeming topic and discussing what the faith has to say about it both conceptually and practically. So thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to buckle up, keep your hands and feet inside the proverbial vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Let's go. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for our fourth installment of the Theology of Podcast. Today, we're going to be diving into the topic of community. And this is a very, very big topic within the Christian world. So I'm really, really excited to dive in and sort of uncover some ways that we can take this to heart and make it flourish within our own daily lives as Christians. So uh, you know the drill. I'm Benjamin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Riker. And uh, yeah, let's just jump right into it. So again, usually as we do, just start with some background. Um, Why community? Why did we choose this topic? What is community just by itself? And uh, just start with a dictionary definition from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Um, It defines community as a unified body of individuals, such as the people with common interests living in a particular area, or a group of people with common characteristic or interest living together within a larger society, or a body of persons of common and especially professional interests scattered throughout a larger society, or a body of persons or nations having a common history or common social, economic, and political interests, or a group linked by common policy, or an interacting population of various kinds of individuals in a common location. So, wow, what do we take out of that one? Uh, a lot of right. commonality, right? <laughs> yeah, if you're anything like me, you might have fallen asleep during that definition. <laughs> yeah. Because it's definitely very legal sounding and kind totally. of boring. Yeah, a little bit. But I think the one thing that's really important about that definition that we can actually use to help us understand this idea of community is the one word that showed up in every single entry, yep. which was the word common. Yeah. Community. It's even in the name. Community <laughs> is yeah. all about having things in common and finding unity in that. Right. And just to clarify, the reason why we're starting with these definitions isn't because we don't think that you guys listening don't know what community is. Right. Um, because we all do. <laughs> But the purpose is to set some borders around our understanding of it. Yeah, absolutely. For not to be just nebulous and not very well-defined and to take that and to give it structure so that we can use this definition as we go deeper and start adding theology to it. Yeah, and it helps us set some boundaries for what we're going to talk about and just what we're going to kind of delve into and how we might be able to shape that for good. Um, Mm -hmm. so that we're not getting any wrong ideas between maybe differing definitions of the word. But yeah, you just think about the differing types of communities in your own life. Like for myself, I can think about the people I go to school with and the people I work with and the people that I live with in my house and uh, the people that I go to church with on Sundays and, uh, you know, different 
types of communities that you're in and around at least once a week um, and around and hopefully pouring into as a follower of Christ. But yeah, that's going to be kind of what we're going to explore today is is the theology behind those groups and those intersections of people with like-minded interests. And to add to that, each of those groups is going to have their own nuance as far as how to interact in it and how to best be involved in that community. Right. But our purposes are more general to find some common attributes that encompass all of the different types of community. Yeah, and it's important for us to look back into history and especially at the Bible at where God has laid out these perfect examples of community for us. And there is so many. We're going to be looking at a lot of passages today um, and and kind of diving into them a little bit deeper. But also we're going to take a look at where in our 21st century age we are struggling to find genuine Christ-like community. And it's a it's a big problem. It's more of a problem than we think nowadays, especially with the rise of social media and technology, like we talked about a couple episodes ago, um, you know, we, we see a spike in isolation and depression and um, people just keep into themselves and not really engaging in that Christ-like community that we're called to. So we're going to be looking into maybe what are some of the reasons behind that, but we're also going to be looking at to maybe a, a recipe, if you will, for healthy community and just looking at different aspects of those genuine relationships that we could seek out in others and find for ourselves so that we can once more be integrated into this healthy community that God calls us to. But that's a lot. We might have to do two episodes for this one. Yeah, we definitely bit off maybe more than we can chew. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, we'll see how much we can tackle in this episode. Yeah. First things first, let's jump into a biblical survey of community Mm -hmm. and see what scripture has to say about it. Sure. Scripture is saturated with examples and passages of community. Mm -hmm. But to start things off, let's look back even to before the beginning. Oh, okay. So God before creation? Yeah. Even before God created the heavens and the earth, God was. Because God is the infinite I am. Right. And you would think that community wouldn't start until Adam and Eve were created. Sure. But when we take a dive into Trinitarian theology, we see that the Trinity is the actual core of community. Yeah, you're totally right. And there's only so much that we can know, right? Because there is so much that will be completely unreachable for us as mere humans, uh, just trying to talk about this big of a subject. But with the Trinity, you know, it is the idea of that three persons, but one being and one essence. And it allows for, um, you know, the juggle of back and forth between they are all uniquely God, but they are also all uniquely individual as well, so that we can have this idea of this really, really tight, loving community. Right. When we think back to our definition of community, they have this perfect thing in common, which is their divinity, right? All three have that in essence. And yet they're still three distinct persons, which means that there is that diversity that allows for community. 
Yeah, that reminds me of a passage in John uh, where Jesus is talking to Philip and Philip is asking to see the way to God and and Jesus is telling him that he is the way to the Father. Um, And I'll skip around here, but starting in 14 verse 7, it says, If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replies, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. And then later in verse 15, it says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and does not recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. So it's talking about this idea that Jesus is in the Father who is sending the advocate, the Holy Spirit, and they are all working together in this perfect unity to redeem and bring about the good news of the gospel in each of his followers. Mm, Yeah. So from that, we can even take this idea that God created, you know, the universe and different parts of it, but Mm. community itself is part of God's nature. It's not something that he created because it's something that he is. Right. Yeah. That also reminds me, I was reading um, an article written by, Reverend Leonard Vander Zee, and he spoke it really, really well. Um, and he talks about how at the center of all reality, at the heart of the universe, there exists an eternal divine community of perfect love. The Bible calls this community the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's a certain logic to Trinitarian belief. The Bible says that God is love, but the only way God can be love is for God to be a community of divine persons. Love does not exist in a monad. God is the eternal community of love. The nature of true love is not binding or limiting, but rather expansive. Love flows outward. It grows. Therefore, the creation of the universe is an overflow of love from that original divine community as it expands in love and delight to include beloved creatures. Some of the early church fathers used a Greek word to describe the life and the love of the Holy Trinity perichoresis. It includes the ideas of complete interpenetration, a kind of perfect loving indwelling. Or it can mean a dance, the divine dance of perfect love for all eternity. Having recognized this mystery in the Bible, the early church began to sort out some possible misunderstandings, what the Trinity is not. The Holy Trinity is not a chain of command. It's not an amorphous energy field of love. It's not three gods who get along really well, like the three musketeers. Each person of the Trinity is irreducibly and uniquely itself, distinct in three persons, and yet is perfectly united in being, love, and purpose. It is a true community of perfect love. But here's the truly amazing thing. We are invited to join in that dance. It's not just that God is Trinitarian. Our salvation is Trinitarian too. Wow, like what an incredible way of summing that up of the perfect love of the Trinity and the way that it basically gives us an example of how we should be in community with others as we are in community with God. Dang. Yeah. That's, 
Really, really well put. Um, another theologian who does a beautiful job of describing the Trinity is Michael Reeves. He wrote a book oh, yeah. called Delighting in the Trinity that mm-hmm. is one of the best books you could ever read. Hmm. But two ideas that he says that fit so well with that whole thing you just read. One, like Reverend Z mentioned, God has to be Trinitarian because if God wasn't, then his attribute of being love would be dependent on his creation, which would make God not the ultimate. He would be indebted to us. Right. And yet, because God can love within the Trinity, then he could be love even before there were humans to love. Hmm. That's a really good point. So that's the first thing. And the second thing that he mentioned that blew my mind and kind of opened my eyes to just how important the Trinity is to our faith is the fact that Satan is non-Trinitarian. So you think about the three persons and the unity and the community Mm -hmm. of the Trinity, Satan's the exact opposite. Right. Oh, yeah. Singular um, and insular. And so community is the antithesis of Satan and Mm. therefore of his evil schemes. Wow. Yeah, it just kind of shifts your perspective. Yeah, to the other side of things. Hmm. Right, yeah. Really interesting. So... Now that we've laid that foundation of community within the Trinity, let's go to the next step, um, the creation of mankind. Yeah, and my mind always goes back to this phrase, right? The image of God, and we are made in the image of God, and, you know, imago dei. And digging into that just a little bit more this time in preparation for this episode led me to to just really sit in awe at this idea of the distinction that we as humans are given apart from everything else that was created in those seven days. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we as humans are given reign over the entire garden and over all of the beasts of the earth and of the field and how we are seen as very good and we are not meant to be alone. We are meant to flourish with all of the things around us, but we are made in God's image. Nothing else in the entire seven days was said in that way. It was all, let there be this, let there be that. This will happen, that will happen. But when God came to humans, he said, let us make human beings in our likeness. It's this idea of setting humanity apart from everything, being made in the Trinity and in that image of God. Yeah, and not only are humans the very good thing that God's created, but if we dive even deeper into that, in Genesis 2.18, it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Right, yeah, yeah, So in this series of good, 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 very good, the one thing that's not good about Eden is man being alone, Hmm. which shows that in that Imago Dei, we inherit 
the need for connection. Yeah. Just as God is connected within the Trinity. This shows us the significance of community and really highlights for us how big of a deal it actually is. Because I think our society knows that community is good and important, right. but I don't know if we always understand just how big its purpose really is. And that God didn't say that thing about the animals or the rest of the earth. Mm -hmm. It was just about humanity itself, right? It's not good that man should be alone and that he will make a helper fit for him. Yep. Yeah, you have that unity. But unfortunately, it doesn't stay that way. Nope. And the fall breaks this community that God has formed. And it's interesting because as soon as Adam and Eve take a bite from the fruit, it says in scripture that they hid themselves mm -hmm. from God. Yeah. Um, and this has bigger implications than just them being separated from God. Because if God was the one who united them with creation and also united them with one another, hmm. then by cutting off ties with God, they're also cutting and oh, breaking yeah. their relationship with creation in general and also each other. And so this is the origin of dysfunction and disunity into hmm. our world. Right, because then just right down the road, we have stories like Cain and Abel, right? And this very distinct opposition between two of God's children. And we obviously see the effects of the fall that they have had on humans themselves. Mm -hmm. And it keeps spiraling downwards. And you have the story of Lamech, mm -hmm. the first instance of polygamy, um, keeps on going down to the flood when... God has to get a clean slate just because of how disorganized humanity has become. Yeah, it's crazy. It just is like a toilet bowl. Yeah. Spinning down. Right. So one story leads to another, but eventually we have something that's supposed to break the cycle with the nation of Israel and Abraham and God making this covenant with him and telling him that his people are meant to be a healing light to the world and for his people to bear God's image. And uh, that doesn't happen all too well, just due to the human nature of the Israelites and their falling victim to themselves and the idols around them. Hmm. Yeah, God establishes a new community hmm. in the nation of Israel, a community that shares this common culture that unites them together. And God has big plans for this new community that he's created. Yeah. Um, a really beautiful description of this plan that God has for Israel um, is seen in Psalm 133, where it says, Behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Hmm. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That is a beautiful picture. Wow. And there's plenty of exegesis that we could dive into on that passage. Yeah. But something that's beautiful is you have this imagery of Aaron being anointed with oil. 
as it runs down his beard. So God blessing Israel through their community. But then you also have the imagery of the dew that is from Hermon on the north tip of Israel that spreads down all the way to the south to the mountains of Zion. So it's a blessing that doesn't stay confined, but it overflows into the surrounding area. Mm. So let's jump to the New Testament and the group of disciples that we see is just this natural community that Jesus brings together. And uh, I always like to think of the disciples as a symbolically renewed Israel, if you will, because they are a people, you know, to be a healing light to the world. And once again, to bear his image. And just by walking side by side with Jesus himself, they are able to go out into the world and spread that gospel of good news. And, you know, there are 12 disciples. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There's a lot of different mm. symbolism that we could get into with mm -hmm. the two of them. And it reminds me of this verse in Matthew 18, verse 20, uh, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, where two or three gather in my name, I am there among them. And I just love that because it's Jesus literally encouraging his disciples to have community with the people around him. And it doesn't mean that they have to know each other. It just means where two or three are gathered. And often we see the disciples go out to these towns that they don't know anybody and uh, they're gathering with the people of that town and God is with them, as Jesus says. Hmm. Yeah. To add to that, I think it's really beautiful the fact that Jesus even had disciples in the first place. Sure. Um, yeah. Because sometimes we can take that for granted and just always assume that the disciples were a thing. Right. Um, but no, Jesus called them um, and surrounded himself with these people. Hmm. Um, and we can even go so far as to say that Jesus needed community. Well, you might have to put an asterisk next to needed <laughs> just because that gets into incarnation sure <laughs> paradoxes right but just as jesus needed food and sleep to sustain his earthly body he also needed community um, and that social hmm. aspect um, that's ingrained in our nature that yeah. goes as we've seen all the way back to the creation of adam yeah absolutely man another really important passage about community that shows up during this time frame is John 17, 20 to 23. Um, it's when Jesus is praying in the garden. Um, the, it's called the high priestly prayer. And mm -hmm. in it, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory yeah. that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one 
so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Mm, so good. So lots of use of the word ones and this idea of unity. First off, it's just mind-blowing to think that in that passage, Jesus is praying for me. Right. Right. Jesus is praying for you. Yeah. And he's praying for this ultimate unity that we have that not only connects us with each other, but also connects us with the unity of the Trinity itself. Mm. Yeah. And through Jesus, through our unity as a church with him, we are then unified into the Trinity itself. That's how mind blowing is that? Seriously. And so to further talk about the church then and the unity that the church has, Mm. we have this new understanding of community as the body of believers. Right. And understanding that Jesus is now within the hearts of his believers and within the hearts of the apostles as they go out into the world and spread the gospel, we can see so many more beautiful pictures of this. This is where we really get in the meat of what it means to be in Christ-like community as we see the apostles themselves go out and do this themselves. It reminds me first of a verse in Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 4 through 5. It says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, Mm. and we all belong to each other. Which is just such a cool picture, right? You know, we always talk about being the hands and feet of Christ himself. But seeing us all, all of the believers all over the world from 2,000 years ago to today, being as one Christ-like body is such a such a cool symbol. Yeah, and there's other examples of that in Scripture, like 1 Corinthians 12. That's another example. Hmm. Um, but what you're saying is exactly right. It's not only about unity among Christians themselves, right. but it's unity in Christ, yeah. which has way bigger ramifications sure. than we realize. Yeah, and that reminds me of 1 Peter 2, verse 10. Um, It says, once you had no identity as a people, and now you are God's people, which is so cool to think about how often we throw around the word identity nowadays, and we often forget that Christ is our true and foremost identity, Mm -hmm. and how important it is for us to take that to heart and for us to recognize that we are God's people and that we once had no identity, but because of Christ's redeeming love for us, we are now God's people and we are united with the others around us that share in that. Yeah, absolutely. Another example, as if there weren't (laughs) already enough examples, is the entire book of Ephesians Yeah, talks about this idea of unity being God's redemptive plan for his creation which is beautiful and mind-blowing and connects all of this together. Yeah. And the last one, I got to give one more, (laughs) is uh, in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15. Um, And we often remember the first part of this, but I think we need to remember the latter half of it now. It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And this is the important part right here. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect 
harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And uh, I just think that's such a beautiful, beautiful picture of God just telling us to live in love and harmony with each other. And this idea of unity that he has created through love that we can live amongst our fellow human beings with. Yeah. And again, even as the church, we don't embody this community perfectly yet. Right. Because we still have that dysfunction. We still have that dissension. And yet we have hope that one day community will culminate in the marriage supper of the Lamb when Christ comes back for his church. Yeah, it's like a big family reunion, right? I just remember my family reunions that I would have as a kid with my extended family. I have such a big extended family, but that just gives a great picture of what is to come and how we can look forward to that big reunion with with everybody. Yeah, amen to that. So I think we're going to need two episodes for this one. Uh, But Mm -hmm. just talking about this idea of community and the way that we see it rooted in scripture, how can we boil down everything that we just talked about into one nice little package? What do you think? Yeah. So before the beginning, you have the Trinity, the perfect community, um, and the origin of all communities. Um, there was this love that the Father showed, the Son showed, the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Um, And from the overflow of that came the creation of the universe, where God created man and woman in his image, that same Trinitarian image that has community at the core. Hmm. And yet humanity chooses to rebel and community is corrupted, just like the rest of nature. And so there's this cycle of more and more and more depravity until God decides to reestablish a community through the person of Abraham. And so Israel is created as a nation, um, and it's meant to be a community that leads the entire world back to perfect unity with God. But they mess up um, again and again and again. And so we leave the Old Testament without that community being fulfilled. But then we come to the New Testament where Jesus comes to the scene. Hmm. He creates his own community of disciples who also weren't perfect. And yet, because he was perfect, he was able to make real lasting community through them. So that even after he died, the community continued through the church all the way to today and past today to the final culmination of community, the reunion of all believers. There you go. <sighs> Whew. I didn't even do any of that work. Nice job, man. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, all right. So we're going to end the first part of that episode here. We hope that this has been helpful, at least in some way for you. But we're going to pick right up where we left off next Wednesday. 
So stay tuned for part two as we kind of discover where we as a society have kind of fallen off the train tracks a little bit and where we struggle to find genuine community, but also how we can look for those healthy community habits and seek out the genuine Christ-like community that we've been missing all this time. Thanks so much for tagging along with us on this journey. Um, It's just been so encouraging um, to see your guys' support over these first couple of episodes. If you want to further support us, one of the biggest ways that you can help is just by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcast platforms. That would be such a huge help for us as we get started. Our music for this episode and all the other ones is created by Luke Hall. So if you like what you hear, feel free to check him out. We'll link him in the show notes below. Speaking of which, if you haven't checked out our show notes yet, they're down below. Feel free to check them out. We have great resources for you to help understand this episode and dive deeper if you want to. That's all we got for this episode. So this is Riker and Benjamin signing out. Thanks again, and we will see you in the next episode.